0: At Indigital, we know that public safety professionals hold themselves to a high standard. In fact, standard doesn't do it justice. In over 25 years working alongside you, carrying millions of calls over our IP networks, your dedication has inspired us. That's why our ESI Net goes beyond industry standards. Not only I3 compliant, but designed to adapt to future development for a network you can count on when it matters most. Learn more at Indigital.net.
1: Here in Greenville County, we have eight different places where a 911 call can
2: be answered. It is the largest county in South Carolina. It's a
1: challenge. The type of information that a telecommunicator gets from Radius Plus is location-based technology. You can see where the caller is, if they have a medical issue, if they speak a different language. They're immediately able to text to that caller in their native language. It reduces response times because it immediately gets first responders where they need to be. If Within the Trenches has ever taught you something, open your eyes to what it is like to be a 9-1 dispatcher, or has inspired you to become one, then help support us and join our Patreon. Get exclusive bonus content, one-of-a-kind swag, discounts on merchandise, ad-free early access to new episodes, and much more. To join, please visit patreon.com slash podcast. And if you're an industry partner, we have something for you as well. And now, for the show.
3: This is Jordan, and you're listening to the Code 7 Podcast Network.
1: Warning. This episode contains the three A's of podcasting. Adult content, adult language, and awesomeness. You've been warned.
3: Welcome to Within the Trenches, True stories from the 911 Dispatchers Who Live Them.
1: Hey, what's going on? This is Ricardo with the Code7 Podcast Network, and this is gonna be within the trenches. True stories from the 911 Dispatchers Who Live Them. This episode is sponsored by Indigital as well as Rapid Deploy and Carbine. And as always, a big shout out to patrons. Thank you so, so very much. I wouldn't be able to do everything that I do if it uh wasn't for for you but especially those of you who are here watching and listening supporting and sharing. thank you so so very much for everything I appreciate it more than you know um, Also there are uh, more bonus material that's going to be coming out. And uh, those are going to be audio versions of the DRT, which is the Dispatchers Roundtable, as well as Open Mic. Um, Those are added bonuses for patrons only that go out uh, podcast style video or I'm sorry, audio versions of those uh, that goes out to patrons. Video, it's always available on uh, Facebook, Twitter, as well as LinkedIn Live and uh, YouTube. So you can check those out there. But for those audio versions, um that's a perk for patrons only so make sure to check that out also there was a new singing badly in my car video that went out uh that song was dynamite <laughs> by bts and it's my my mom and i and my sister crystal who are uh, in the car singing that song so if you want to see that craziness become a patron and you can check it out it's pretty funny i try to put out a new one every couple of weeks it's just been really busy lately but uh, um Make sure to check those out. They're a lot of fun to do, and uh, it, I've got so much more that's coming up. So, again, thank you, patrons, for everything as well as the sponsors. And I'm excited for this episode. We're going to be talking about this uh, this program uh, that's that's coming up here in just a moment, but also we're going to be learning about each and every one of uh, my guests that are going to be coming on. We're going to learn about their, um, their dispatch story as well as some of the calls that they took and what it was like for them going into this. So without further ado, the first group here that I'm going to be pulling up, I've got Madison, Katie, as well as Kendra, and they're going to be coming out of the Ada County Sheriff's Office is Boise, Idaho, but also uh, West Valley. So here we go with the first group. Hello. Hello. Hi.
0: Hi. <laughs>
1: All right, welcome, welcome. This is gonna be good. Uh, We were talking a little bit earlier, and uh, I'm excited, I'm excited to have you all on. The next guest uh, here that I'm gonna be pulling up is Shelby. Hello, hello. Hi. How are you doing?
4: Good, how are you?
1: I'm doing all right. It looks, you're sitting outside right now?
4: Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay, so I have to ask really quick, because it looks it looks like you're wearing maybe a zip-up or something. Is it cold over there, or is it, its is it all right?
4: Warm, but it was chilly earlier. We went on a walk after my girls got up, so just enjoying the outside.
1: Very nice, very nice. Excellent. Well, I am so happy to have you all on here, and uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about each and every one of you. And uh, I want to start out with Madison. How did you get into uh, dispatching to begin with?
0: um so growing up i listened to fire dispatch constantly my dad was a fire marshal for the paid and the volunteer department where we lived so i always listened to it he had no interest in listening to medical calls because he didn't respond to them as fire marshal but i always made him turn it up when the dispatcher was giving the initial disposition because i thought it was so cool to know what was going on and that they got to tell the people like this is what's going on and you can go help Um, so that's something that him and I had always talked about. And um when I was younger at home, I was pretty chatty around my family. He called me his little talker machine, and um he said, like, dispatch would be great for you because you get paid to talk. So (laughs) you should pursue that. (laughs) Um and I was from Colorado, I moved up to Idaho. Um And I was working as a barista for quite a while, um, and I loved the opportunity that I had as a barista to help somebody and make a difference in their life, Um, but it was just with coffee, and I was slightly getting irritated that coffee was an emergency, and I was like, maybe I could actually, like, help people in actual real-life emergencies, Um, and the sheriff's office had an opening at the time, so I applied and went in for that, um, and here I am now, five years later.
1: Oh, that is excellent. So as a, as a barista, I mean, you know, coffee and everything also goes with dispatch. I know a lot of dispatchers who will post memes saying, you know, I run on coffee.
0: <laughs> I, I, <think laughs> I understand now that lack of coffee could definitely constitute an emergency, <laughs> right. but as a barista, I had regular access to it so it wasn't as relevant at the time.
1: Right, yeah. We, but. The, also the good thing about what you were doing as a barista too, was that you were dealing with a lot of customers and a lot of that customer service can definitely transfer over as you're tra- uh, transitioning into uh dispatch. I mean, it's, it's different because of the fact that, you know, there you're dealing with people face to face, but you know, that also helps over the phone because you can, you can really transition all of that customer service into what it is that you're doing.
0: Absolutely. That and like, multitasking as a barista, like ringing people up, making their coffees, like handling multiple different windows. It's a different kind of multitasking, but I feel like it actually like transfers over to the dispatch world pretty well because you've got to stay friendly the whole time no matter what. Your tips <laughs> depend on it. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, you know, growing up, so since you were, you know, involved in, in, public safety this way with your dad, uh, early on, were there ever any times that you got to do any ride alongs or even a sit along in dispatch?
0: Um, I, so there, there was one time that I did a very long sit along in dispatch because he was on a fire investigation and. I mean, it was a long time ago, and my mom was in England, and and he needed a place for his kids, and it was like a last-minute thing, so my sister and me <laughs> kind of just hung out and dispatched for quite a few hours at that point, um, so we did that, but um, responding to structure fires and stuff with him, because he was on call all the time, and sometimes he just had the kids, and we would just sit in his rig, um, so we would listen to that, but again, like he, he was on call 24-7, so we had his radio on all the time. And then he worked in the bureau and their dispatch center was in the, in the basement of the building that he worked out of. Um, and so it was readily available. And so he would take us down there because we, we just thought it was cool. There were a bunch of nice ladies who would talk to us, um, <laughs> as, as little kids. So we'd go do that, but we, we definitely listened to it. And I, I would always ask him questions. I, he used to quiz us on our, our phonetic alphabets. All the time on road trips, and I usually had it down, but you was always a problem for me. So, so Ursula was usually what I could come up with. (laughs) (laughs) Radio within the last six months, probably as a joke, but so we kind of grew up doing all of that, and it was kind of almost like a constant ride along as far as that aspect went, because we just always had the radio up.
1: Oh man, that is awesome. So I guess, so then later on when you made that transition uh, into dispatch, was there anything that surprised you? Like when you, when you got in there, if you can remember walking in for that first day, you know, what is it that you're looking at?
0: Um, I was, I think the first day I was just kind of overwhelmed. Um, Mm -hmm. there were just a lot of new people, new faces. Um, and I had grown up on the fire side of things specifically. And we dispatch fire, police, and paramedics at Ada County, um, but the large portion of it is police calls. Um, so all of that, that whole whole realm of things, was completely new to me, um, and there was just so much, so much to learn. Um, so many like different computer systems that you could learn. Um, I had never heard of a of a command line prior to stepping into dispatch, so I was like, oh wow, like. There you go. Like this whole thing's a puzzle. There's so many moving pieces that when you're just listening from the outside, especially as a young child, like you have no idea. Um, and then just the variety of colors and everything. Because, again, I was accustomed to specifically fireside growing up.
1: Oh, I, I can see where that would be uh, a little mind blowing coming into that. For me, when I first started out, it was a um, it was it was one person, small police department, eight hours. We're the only one working that entire time. If it goes to hell during that time, get ready (laughs) because you got to be ready for anything that is going on. But then when I, when I moved back home to Southwest Michigan, it was central dispatch. There was three of us on at a time. The call volume is way higher. So I'm, I'm walking in that first day, seeing people just multitasking like crazy and also eating at the same time. And I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to do this? Like, (laughs) this is, this is pretty crazy. So uh, I can see, you know, that how it would be, you know, different as well at at that last center that I was at. um, We, we dispatch for everything as well. And, uh, you know, if you're on main phones, you're, you're taking the 911 calls, not emergency calls. You've got EMS, you've got fire, you've got it all in one spot. And then on the other side, we had uh, law enforcement radio and uh, that was, that was a lot of fun for me too. That, those were, those were probably my, my favorites was main phones and then, uh, being on radios. So that was, that was always a good time. Um, so moving over to, uh, to Katie, how did you get involved in, uh, in public safety and dispatch?
2: Um, so I have always wanted to be in law enforcement since I was six. Mm-hmm. Um, all I wanted to do, I wanted to be a detective. You asked me when I was growing up. That's what I wanted. Um, I went to school um, for criminal justice. I got my bachelor's degree. Um, and then I was looking. I had moved back home after school, and I was looking for jobs. And there wasn't really anything here. Um, and I had moved up to Boise because there was better job opportunities open there Um, and my grandparents were up there and they needed some help. Um, So I had applied at the sheriff's office for the training division and I got the position there and part of the onboarding with Ada County is that you do a ride along, you do a sit in with dispatch, you go do records. Um, So you kind of get a perspective of everything that's going on and your role in all of that. So i was the data nerd in the training division i did all of the the logging and all of that stuff registering people all of it um but i did my sit-in with dispatch and kind of fell in love so every friday after i would get off i would go sit for like five or six hours in dispatch and just listen and observe and um at the time we had this secretary um, cindy and she um, essentially stalked me into it Every time she saw me, she'd be like, hey, when are you going to apply? When are you going to apply? When are you going to apply? Um, so I resisted for a year. <laughs> and I finally applied and put in and uh, made the, the switch and loved it.
1: Wow. So <laughs> I like how you said you got stalked into it. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, you have someone poking and prodding you like, come on, come on, try it, try it. And <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting to me too, that, you know, there's a lot of people that I've spoken to where, you know, they've gone in, uh, you know, for something else and they just, they, they happen to be drawn to, to dispatch, whether it's in the same room or they're just hearing about it and they go do a sit along just to, just to check it out. And then it gets into your blood and you're like, Hmm, I think I want to try this as well. Yep. <laughs> now, I guess looking at your training, what was the, what was the training like for you going into this?
2: Um, So Ada County was pretty structured when I went in. Um, It was a 16 week um, kind of pass fail. You get a two week extension at the end of each phase. Mm -hmm. Um, After that, you're kind of cut off. Um, I went in and there was a lot of people around me that was cut off. And um, I was very determined not to be one of those people. Um I was very very awkward at the very beginning. Um my trainer Mandy was my very first trainer ever and she would tell me every day you are so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and she finally was like you need to go to these classes to like learn how to be less awkward. And I would love to say <laughs> that it helped, but I don't know that it did. <laughs> um Um, yeah, but it was good. I had a lot of really good trainers, a lot of, um, trainers that pushed me and, um, pushed my limits. And, um, I think it was good. I think it, it worked out for the benefit of me and for the center, I think. So it was a good process, definitely quite rigorous, but it was a good one.
1: So I, I have to ask because you, you said it, (laughs) what, what made you awkward? Like, like, what was it? Because and, and the reason I ask is because when, when I ended up switching over to uh, or, or coming back home to Southwest Michigan and in the, in the bigger center, and I was on radios, I don't know what it was because I, I had three and a half years of experience already. But I, I think it was because the radio traffic, there was just so much more that was going on that I would look at my trainer and say, what should I say? Like, you want me to say it that way? Or should I say it this way? And sometimes they would say, "Just just say it. Just just yeah. say how you feel, and then I'll, I'll talk to you about it afterwards. Was it something like that, or what was it?
2: Um, she told me I sounded like a robot on the phone. Um, <laughs> it, it was more like I just, I had, I was so nervous and so, like, anxious to do it correctly that I was, I would sound like a robot. I'd be like, yes, no, okay, how do I help you? <laughs> like, <laughs> there was no emotion, no voice inflection, like, it
4: was
1: just really awkward oh that that is funny yeah and you know and, and some of it too like for me um it had to do with um using my dispatch voice like i i had to speak up a little more and i would say i thought i was speaking fine and they're like no you need to speak up just a little more and a little more clear and it felt like um What was it? Uh, Alice in Wonderland, when the Queen of Hearts is telling her to open her mouth a little wider when she speaks. (laughs) And so it was kind of like that for me as well. And so I I had to I had to bring that out just a little bit more. And it it happened more when I got, uh, you know, it was just way more comfortable. I was just nervous and I just wanted to do a good job. So I was overthinking a lot of things that that I was doing.
2: Yep, that was me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so, um, Shelby, how about you? How did you get into uh, dispatching to begin with?
4: Um, I was originally from Prump, Nevada, which is like an hour outside mm-hmm. of Vegas. And I came to the Idaho area on vacation a few years beforehand, and I fell in love with it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to move. So back then, five years ago, was when like a lot of the police hate stuff was going on. Uh-huh. And I wanted to help out, but I didn't want to be in the field. I knew that. So I was like, okay, well, I'll try dispatch. Having no idea what dispatch really was. Um, so I applied about Ada County and I got on and I moved here the weekend before I started on that Monday and walked in and started dispatching. But it was oh, eye-opening for sure. Definitely more than I ever thought it was. I had no idea all the different pieces and the multitasking and all the screens you'd be looking at on a daily basis.
1: So for me, when, when I first started that first day, I had the chief of police show up at my house to ask me if I still <laughs> wanted the job. And and I told him yes. And I thought I'll probably going to start like next week or something. So I asked and he says, "Will you start tonight. And I said, Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> and when, and I go in and I meet my trainer who was, I won't say how old he was. I'll just say he was a seasoned dispatcher, <laughs> and uh, and in I, I observed him take a nine one one call, and then he goes after that call. He tells me that I'm next, and I thought there's got to be more to this than really like this. That's it. And I remember he kind of you know he looked at me straight face and very firm was like, no, this is you're next, and the way you're going to learn how to do this is by doing it. So you need to jump in. Now I did have a 40 hour beginners dispatching course that I ended up taking after that. But, uh, and and the reason I mentioned this is because just the way you, you made it sound like I went in and I started like, that's, that's how it went. So what all did that entail? Like, did they just say, you're going to sit here and you're going to listen or do they start you out with maybe some geography of the area? How, How did that work?
4: Now, my trainer worked at 5 a.m., and so Mm -hmm. the time difference was already a little bit of a struggle because I had, like, two days (laughs) to get, like, used to that. And I walk in, and she takes the first call, kind of like you just said, and she goes, okay, you're going to take the next one. And I'm like, like, I'm actually going to talk to a person? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. so she's just in my ear (laughs) parrying everything, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. tell this person right now. I don't know the area because I'm not from here. So they're like, you know, on Overland. And I'm like, no, I don't know. But it was definitely a lot to learn.
1: Right. Yeah. And yeah, if you're, if you're not a local or anything that, that makes it just a little bit harder in some ways, because I, you know, yeah, the exact same thing. I had someone just for example, them say, yeah, it's over on Bob's road. I'm like, I don't know where Bob's road is. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Can you, can you give me some more landmarks? But luckily in at least the, um, when, when I went to work for the central dispatch, uh, that I finished off at, it was in the County that I actually grew up in. So the West side of the County, if someone told me one place, like I knew exactly where it was at and I could tell them different pieces that were right around there, but the East side of the County, nope, I would have no idea where any of it was. So I would have to do um, some geo rides and, and just kind of see where some of the different landmarks and other things that people were talking about um, was around there. So, so you go in, you start training right away. How about when, when you, when you, when you're taking this call, how did that, How did that work out for you? Because I know my first one ended up, um, it was just a hang-up call. So it wasn't really anything big. But I'll tell you what, I was freaking out. Like, all right, here we go.
4: (laughs) Yeah, thankfully, it was just a non-emergency line. And I honestly Mm -hmm. cannot remember what exactly it was. But she I would just look over her and she'd tell me what to say. And then I'd mimic what she was saying. And we ended the call and we survived the first one. So I think just (laughs) getting over it is
1: the best way to do it oh man did uh were you attached to the umbilical cord yes yes <laughs> 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 oh it's 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 funny that even so when i started it was 2001 and we had the well the I didn't have the umbilical cord then. It wasn't until later, till about 2005, 2006, when I ended up at the central dispatch, when all of my training was, was all, uh, with umbilical cord style. And there was always those times where you would hit the button on accident or something. And then you're listening and you're like, Oh man, I'm sorry. Excuse me. You're like, oh they heard me like, <laughs> you know you're trying to switch it back and, and the trainer's looking at me like what the hell are you doing I'm like, sorry <laughs> uh, yeah so that's why i ask about the umbilical cord if you had the same thing too
4: <laughs> yeah yeah we we're all we're always plugged into the same console i don't think we have the same exact cords but mm-hmm. plugged into the same console and you have to hit your mute switch back and forth and
1: oh that's that's always one of those moments where if you don't if you hit it on accident or something, or you say something, or you think you put someone on hold and, uh, or mute and, uh, and it's not, and you're talking to so like, I can still hear you. You're like, damn it. Okay. Hopefully nobody QA's this call for quality assurance. Cause then I'm screwed. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Kendra, how about you? How did, how did you get into, uh, dispatching to begin with?
3: Um, so a lot different than Madison and Katie's, I I have my degree in human resources. So I was a human resource generalist um, and I had three smaller kids, two of them had autism. So I just needed something that would um, allow me to work crazy hours so I could be available in the afternoons and um, so I could pick up from school and take them to therapies and do all of our afternoon activities, still do dinner, but then go to work. So I was after it more for um, the flexibility and the different schedules. Um, and then I had a friend who had been a dispatcher and told me about it. I had no clue really what it was. Walked in, I was shocked. Um, I knew what Ada County did because I had done research on it. So I knew for police, fire, and paramedic dispatching, I knew non emergency calls. I knew 911 um, came in, those calls came in. So I knew that. But walking in, it was completely surreal um, taking calls. It was mind blowing the different types of things that people call the police about. Um, so that was a shock to me, but it's completely different than what I got my degree in.
1: So when you, when you say that you had no experience, did you have technically a little experience And what I mean though, is like from TV shows or anything like that?
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen TV shows. I knew, I knew that you could, I, I, yeah, I've seen TV shows with that, but it's completely different.
1: Oh, right, yeah, and that's why I say because when when I got into dispatch as well back in uh, two thousand one, so my my mom, um, I, I I ended up going to Florida just to visit for a couple of weeks, and, and then it turned into a three and a half year stay. I was staying there, <laughs> visiting with my mom and my my siblings and my grandmother, and you know she just ends up asking me if I'm going to look for a job. And I thought, Oh, I have overstayed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess I should look for a job. Sorry. And, uh, so it was, she had told me that, um, one of my cousins, uh, her husband knew the chief of police and that they were hiring nine dispatchers that I should try out for it. And I, I said, I, I, I don't, I have no idea what they do. Like, I, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of like William Shatner and Rescue 911. You know, I really enjoyed that TV show, but I don't know what they, I don't, I don't know anything else, but, uh, and that's why I asked that I had no experience, but the experience that I had was from TV. <laughs>
3: yeah, very limited, very limited to what I've seen in TV.
1: So then when, when you end up uh, getting into this, what were, what were some of the things that were real eye opening for you then?
3: Uh, Well, so one of my first few days of taking calls was New Year's Eve, so Mm -hmm. that was an overwhelming day to start, and I worked night shift. Um, So it was much like them. The way we used to do training is you got plugged in with your trainer, and um, whenever the trainer felt it was appropriate for you to take your first call, that's when you did it. So it was very much like the second or third call that I had listened to. I was now the one answering the phone and just not knowing what to say. I, I usually know what to say. Um, and sitting down and doing that job, not knowing what to say to people. Um, like, I would know what to say to comfort them, but not knowing for policy what was appropriate or what we needed to say to guarantee help. Um, that was just kind of eye-opening. <clears throat> like, oh crap, what did I get myself into? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there there are definitely uh, those moments. Um, when, when I had first started out at that small police department, you know the the very first high priority call that i had was actually it was something that happened face to face so people could actually come into the police department and and make a complaint or whatever just right there at the window mm-hmm. um when i ended up coming back to southwest michigan those calls there were were even they were even more crazy like the first night i started um well that's a now that I'm thinking about it, this was a pattern. I started midnight shift in the first place. And then at the Central Dispatch, I, it was midnight shift as well. So I, I go in and I'm sitting next to my trainer. And the way we did our training there was uh, we did it in, in four phases. So, you know, the first phase was geography and just like all the codes and everything that we had to memorize and then phones and then uh, lean, which would be NCIC and then radios. And then that fourth one was the shadow phase. But that first night... That I was there. I'm sitting with my trainer in the middle of the night. We're on we're on the umbilical cord, and I'm listening. And they um, someone calls in for what the person thought was an animal that was crawling on the side of the road. And I'm sitting there thinking, what the hell is is going on here? And and I had one of those moments like you, where I thought, what am I getting myself into? Like this is this is different than <laughs> the small police department that I was at. It ended up being a person. It was this guy rolled up on a person who was crawling on the side of the road, um, almost like, you know, an army crawl type. But it was it was because the person tried to shoot themselves and 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 their jaw was like hanging off. The person was still alive. They just they missed and, and and and, you know, and shot themselves that way. And I remember just sitting there listening and the trainers looking at me trying to make sure that I'm okay. And I'm like continue like, do your
4: thing. <laughs> like,
1: like I'm, I'm, I'm listening i'm here i'm not leaving i'm not going anywhere I, i'm i'm in i'm in 100 percent. so you know that was that was what my first night was like that's why i was kind of asking you know what what yours was like going in and that first call and everything um do you remember any other of the earlier calls that that you ended up taking
3: yeah so kind of like that where your trainer had to take over that person crawling so i had um My first phase, we usually focus on like non-emergency call taking. We Mm -hmm. still answer 911 calls and we kind of muddle through, but you have the trainer talking to you while you're trying to talk to the person. So you're not retaining anything. Yeah. Um, But mine was a mom had called um, her daughter had just jumped out of the car on the freeway and they were trying to get her to the hospital instead of pulling over. But um, the mom's just screaming hysterically and I can't get, anywhere with her. I'm using my map. I'm like week one in, so I don't know all the tools that we have available to us. I don't know all the calming techniques available to us. And my trainer ended up taking off that conversation because the mom, she just was just beside herself screaming and would not pull over. And, um, I same, same with you. I just look back. I'm like, I just take over, go, go for it. I'm listening. And same thing. I'm here. I'm not overwhelmed. I just don't know what to do. And um, it turned out she had just jumped out of a car because she had just lost her son, and um, he had passed away. And so they were trying to get her back home to take care of her, and she just couldn't handle life anymore. But the family eventually pulled over so we could get paramedics to them and get her help. So,
1: wow, yeah, that's so it's it's interesting, right? When when we're taking these calls in the beginning, and sometimes when we've been there for a while, I know that it took me about three or so years to feel like. I really have got this down and, uh, you know, being able to do certain things. But, you know, the, the incident types are always the same, right? But the situation is what's different. And uh, you just you have to, when you're in that moment, think about a bunch of different things to kind of fill in that space to try to keep people calm. But in the beginning, you're just kind of all over the place. You're, you're with there with that person. And you're like, hey, we're doing this together. <laughs> so you're trying to get through the best that we can.
3: Yeah,
1: correct. It's it's a crazy job. I do miss it though. <laughs> I, I definitely miss it. Um now Madison going uh, over to you. Now you had a lot of this um you know this experience and everything as well. But when you fr- when you first started taking calls, I mean, did you ever think back to the beginning on some of the traffic that you listened to or maybe even some of those calls that you could kind of hear or some of the things that you went out to? Like how was that in comparison? What was that like for you in the beginning?
0: Um in the beginning it was completely it was completely different because I was one of two people at our center that was part of a different training mm-hmm. plan to get us out <laughs> sooner. So I I was strictly training to become qualified to be a call taker out on my own, but also doing videos on the side, but sort of trying to get like shorten our training programs. So just for the time, it only worked for two of us, but so we could get the person out on the floor faster. So I spent a lot of time working on just the phones and growing up, I had been isolated to just the radio side of things. So it was like- Oh, okay, yeah. And and hearing how people talk to you and and (laughs) like some people are so sweet and some people are so not sweet. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's like some people answer your questions and some people don't answer your questions at all, even though you ask them. and I had I had some weird ones. I had one guy who just insid, like he was he had um he had a previous injury and his wife wasn't aware that that was a problem that was causing him right then but so he didn't have enough blood going through his brain and so he had like a temporary god complex going on and was referring to himself in the third person and would get so mad if anybody else talked in anything but the third person. And so it was within the first like month of my training and I'm trying to figure out, I I don't, I don't know. I like, look at my trainer. He's like, you're doing fine. Like, keep going. I was like, do you want to do this? And he's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, Like you're (laughs) in this
0: person talk. That's, that's a whole different set of grammar rules. (laughs) I I don't know how this works. And so, so that whole aspect of it was, was very, very different than what I grew up listening to because the radio is is much more controlled for the most part um than your calling parties and, and sometimes when like you get a funky one that wants all normal speech rules to go out the window and you need to comply with his so he doesn't hurt his family okay like i guess <laughs> i guess i can do this so it was it was very different was just a lot to learn um and then how to how to handle people um, i i had never really been in a situation where people would say exactly what they think sometimes and <laughs> times, you know <laughs> so so it was, it was definitely not not necessarily, i don't think that i went in expecting anything specifically but had mm-hmm. i gone in expecting anything it would not have been that <laughs> um so it was just a lot of learning <laughs> yeah
1: so a, a couple things uh one did you not ever have anyone get really pissed off at you about their like when you were a barista, did, did no one ever get pissed off or anything? And um, really just lay into you and tell you how it is?
0: <laughs> no, well, so my uh, the owner of the coffee shop that I worked at was very, very, very strict about that. And she said, if oh. you messed up, you messed up that coffee, like you toss it and you start fresh. Um, so like, our quality control at that coffee shop was was pretty significant so no and i'm like i've worked as a waitress before but i think i had just gotten lucky and i hadn't messed up orders um so, <laughs> so i hadn't really had that i hadn't i hadn't really had that in-person blow-up thing i uh i enlisted in the military after that i got a lot better at um people yelling at me and saying exactly what uh. I that, was, that was a break in between just years. years so had yeah. it been, it probably would have been different
1: yeah So then, so then the secondly here, I have to ask when you were taking this call, did you respond in third person?
3: I
0: didn't at first because I didn't know that's what I was supposed to do, but he was getting, he was getting so angry. Um, and, and his wife was threatened. Like he was, hes going to try to kill her. He was like naked on top of her with a, like a gun, Mm -hmm. like all of this stuff. So I was like, what, why, I guess I'll try to talk to him, like mirror how he's talking. And that seemed okay. And he wasn't threatening to hang up the phone on me anymore. Um, so I was like, well, I guess this is working. That's why I was like looking at my trainer. He's like, no, like you keep doing it. (laughs) Okay. So I, I, it was just something that I was like, well, I guess I'll go with what I want. So
1: (laughs) Hey, no, well done. Yeah, do what works. You're, I, I I chuckle a little bit because all I can imagine is you uh, being like The Rock back when he was a professional wrestler and speaking in the third person. But
0: so, <laughs> you know,
1: Madison thinks you should do this or Madison should, says that you should yeah, do it's this.
0: So, it was so awkward. Like Madison wants you to like, <laughs> and not you, like Madison wants David or whatever. Like I have no oh, idea. Yeah. It was five years ago, but like the, the you pronoun is, is was not acceptable like personal pronouns were were not to be used and it was just like <laughs> oh my gosh like i like i said like all grammar rules go out the window and you're winging it but he would let you know if you did it wrong so
1: <laughs> man see dispatch is this is elite elite stuff here (laughs) you have to you have to think on the fly
0: never expected to have to play
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh that is amazing now uh let's go to let's go to shelby how about some of the the earlier calls um that you had as well some of the ones when you were you know first starting out on on phones do you remember any of those
4: Uh, the main one i remember it was probably when i was just out on my own from training and i remember it was my birthday and i was working a 14 hour shift so i was on overtime and i was on swing shift so it's had to have been right around midnight and i answered on an emergency call and this guy on the other end we call him belly button guy okay, <laughs> okay. Um, but he told me this story about how him his ants were in the bait his ants were in the basement and they were mat- wearing these matching shirts and they had him tied up where their belly buttons were showing and he's he's whispering the entire time. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, is he gonna tell me like that they're dead down there? That he killed them? So I'm like trying to like figure out what's happening. And then he tells me the story about how they were like playing tug-of-war and he falls backwards and his head gets stuck in this fish bowl and at some point they like burn him with a cigarette in his belly button. And he's like, is that dangerous? And I'm like, what? Like what is going on right now? And I remember like telling him to hang on a second and I mute myself and I like stand up to the lead that was on duty. And I'm like, is somebody playing a joke on me? Like this is my first birthday here. Like, is this what we do? Like, is this like an (laughs) initiation thing? Like I think somebody's playing a joke on me. She's like, nope, nobody's playing a joke on you. And I'm like, this is a legitimate call. And she's like, it must be because we we don't play jokes like that. And I'm like, okay. So I sat back down and I'm trying to talk to him about what is going on. And I'm like, if you need an ambulance for your belly button, that's burnt. Like I can do that. But he wanted me to just keep talking to him about belly buttons and if belly buttons were high on certain people or lower. And turns out he ended up getting my name because he asked me my name and I thought somebody was dead in the basement at this point so i was trying to build some sort of rapport but he ended up calling back weekly and asking for me and it's just so we refer to him as belly button guy
1: oh man so that was your frequent <laughs> flyer yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh that is see and 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 you know when, when you're going through training and everything right they, they, people don't they tell you some things that'll happen but then something like this happens you're like you didn't tell me about this (laughs) what how am i supposed to talk to this person or what should i say and they're just like just just go with it yeah oh geez that it kind of reminds me of uh there was a call that i took once where this guy had called and uh he said that his his neighbor had just gotten home and found his uh wife um cheating on him and that he had uh a gun and he escorted them into this shed that was right there. So we, I'm, we're sending everybody out. You know, we tone it out. Everyone is going out there that we had in the county, basically going out for this that was going on. And then he tells me that he heard a gunshot, and so it is escalating quickly. It's getting crazy. We've got everyone setting up perimeter and stuff. But then his story starts changing a little bit. And so I'm I'm asking all these different questions, and I'm putting in the narrative, and and you know the officers that are out there are saying, "Where's he at right now?" And uh, I said, "He he says that he's he left he left the area." Well, they end up finding him just off to the side by this like wooded area, and uh, I'm trying to find the phone number for the neighbor to call over there to see if anybody answers. And there's a, a guy who ends up answering, and they're telling me to tell this person that, who's the neighbor. To, uh, to go outside and I, I said, who is, you know, like in? is there anybody in the shed? You know, they're telling me to ask these certain questions and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And the guy <laughs> says that he's like not married. And I'm thinking, what, is, what the hell is going on here then? And uh, I said, well, the officers want you to come outside and you need to make sure that any weapons are put away. He's like, I don't have any weapons or anything and you know, have your arms up. Well, he opens a door. And I hear people yelling and the the caller goes, oh, man, what the hell is going on? And you just hear the phone drop and them like taking him down and stuff. Well, it turned out that my original caller was tripping on acid and he hallucinated the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) And we had SWAT out there and, you know, snipers and stuff like it was nuts. And it just it turned out that this dude was just on drugs. (laughs) It's the craziest shit but, but nothing prepares you for stuff like that you you gotta be you know you gotta be on point right all the time no matter how ridiculous or whatever outrageous it might sound it could be real this mm-hmm. <laughs> is it's the craziest thing um mm-hmm. now katie how about how about you uh some of your earlier calls do you remember any of those
2: um so i remember one i was probably maybe eight weeks in um mm-hmm maybe a little bit less than that. Um, and it was a it was a really sad one. It was a nine-year-old who had found dad hanging. Um, and she was the absolute most amazing caller. Um, she called 911, and I picked it up. Um, and she said, I found my dad hanging. I put my little sisters in the bedroom and turned on the TV. What do you need me to do? No. Um, And my heart just broke for her (laughs) because she at nine years old already knew that she didn't want her sisters to have to see or deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And she knew that she needed help and she knew that that's what we did. Um, I remember my trainer telling me, "Okay, you need to tell her that she needs to cut him down. And I remember being like, she's nine. She should not have to be cutting him down. Um, And looking at my trainer going, seriously, like, why this poor girl? Um. And thankfully, her mom came in. Um, her mom had come home from work, um, and that poor little girl—I will never forget her scream when she didn't have to be the grown-up anymore.
1: Oh, man! Uh, what do you think it is? And uh, you, know, any anyone can answer this uh, as well. But what do you think it is with uh, uh, with children when they call in? They are the best callers. You know, oh. you give them direction. Uh, and just like that, like like you said, she already knew, like she had this sense already. But what do you, what do you think it is that makes uh, children such good callers versus adults when, when you know they have so much experience in life already? Is it just because as they're growing up, you know, they take more direction or what do you think it is?
2: I think that's part of it. I think part of it is that they recognize as children, they recognize that they don't know everything and that they when they need help, it's. Um, acceptable for kids to ask for help, whereas a lot of adults don't feel that it's acceptable to ask for help. Um, I think culturally, especially here in the United States, I think it's not necessarily something that people look at that way. Um, I think it's easier for kids to ask for help than it is for adults. Um, I think also that they know that um, they don't have all the tools that they need, and they know that adults usually have that to give them to point them in the right direction um and lastly i don't depending on the age of the kids they might not have the full comprehension of the situation to really grasp the seriousness of it
3: Mm-hmm.
1: no that is that is a definitely a good way to look at it there um did you have a debriefing or anything with this type of call no nope. do you remember
2: nope we didn't um My trainer, um, it was my last day with that trainer and she had, um, she still does. I think, um, every day, her last day with every trainee she has, it's kind of a shit show. Um, and this was mine and, um, we, I don't know that I even found out if, um, dad made it or not. Um, I just remember going home and crying for that little girl and that years of therapy it's going to take for her to deal with all of those things.
1: Yeah. And a little bit of that, definitely stays with you in a way. Right. But I think, you know, moving on as well, some of that can actually help in a way. Let's just say, you know, you have, uh, you end up taking another call, something similar. You've gone through that already. So it'd be better for you to be the one to take that call versus someone else who maybe hasn't had that experience because they wouldn't know how to, you know, deal with it. You know what I mean? Um, but also um, being, you know, a, a trainer as well. If you become a trainer, whichever, um, if someone else goes through a call like that, you can be there for that person and say, "I went through something similar," and you can actually talk to them about it.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard too, right? When you get into this profession, um, you're not taught. Uh, at least I wasn't back, back in 2001, as well as 2006, uh, when I had switched over to the central dispatch, there's, you go through all of this training in the beginning, but there's not always that, look, you're going to end up dealing with this, or this is how you are able to remain calm yourself um, and keep them calm, or this is how you can, you know, practice self-care or anything like that. That stuff isn't always taught. I don't know how it was for for any of you, but for me, it was, you know, you're going in, you take your call and then you move to the next one. There was never any talk that I can remember that, you know, this shit is going to stick with you and you might not know how to deal with it. You should ask for help. That was never told. So I was one of those dispatchers who in the beginning buried all of my calls and I thought I was leaving Um, a lot of it at work, like a lot of people say, but it turns out to be bullshit because when you're silent at home or you're, you know, kind of disconnected, those things are really bothering you. You don't, it doesn't just stay at work because it's always in the back of your head. Uh, so for me as well, you know, I didn't want to be, um, I didn't want to look weak, right? Nobody wants to look weak. You don't want to be the one who's asking for help because then you're afraid that people might think that, um, you, you can't hack it. Like you can't you can't deal with it or you can't handle what it is that, that is going on. But what I learned later on was, you know, I was more of the person with courage to actually ask for help. It wasn't me looking weak. Um, I wanted to do something to better myself. So it was therapeutic for me specifically um, to write about this stuff or to do what it is that we're doing now. I mean, that was um, kind of the uh, the point of the podcast was to share these important stories. And, you know, if it helped me to talk about those, it might help others to not only have them on to talk about their stories, but to have people listen to it and learn from all of it. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that, um, I, I guess, what are you grateful for out of this profession? What are some of the things that that you've been really grateful for going through? And, and I'll, I'll start with you, Katie.
2: Um, I think probably I've learned to be more grateful for my family um, appreciate every day um, because the next one's not guaranteed um, to live in the moment and not, not waste time because you don't know there's no guarantee. You could get in an accident. You could, um, you know, there's so many things. I think um, just knowing and dealing with mortality every day, it's made me appreciate those around me and those that i care for a lot more
1: excellent how about you shelby
4: i think i'm most appreciative for our health just overall just mental health and physical health and how that helps you deal with the calls that you take and deal with the stress of just everyday life and i think being a dispatcher you see a lot of that and so when you see things that are a little less stressful just in everyday life or that people are really freaking out about. I think it grounds you a little bit and you're like, OK, we can deal with this. We've dealt with far worse. We've been in far worse situations
0: and we're going to get through it.
1: Excellent. Uh, Madison, how about you?
0: Um, I think I'm most thankful for the widened perspective that it has allowed me to have. Um, I feel like it's really easy to go down life in your own lane and see what's right there. and think that maybe you have it so bad, or maybe you have it so good, or, or maybe none of the above, but if, one, if you're exposed to all of this, it widens your perspective so you can be more appreciative. And then you can also learn to, because like I said, one of, it's very important to me to be able to serve in some way. Um, and that's what gives me fulfillment. And so I'm thankful for the, even though the stress is there, I think that without this, without the stress or the capability to be helping people, Um, I think I would be worse off, um, not dealing with it, not, not having any of that because I wouldn't be able to be in the position to serve. And as the years go on, you see what you are capable of. Um, and I think that knowing that you're capable of this makes it easier to handle anything that life deal, like deals, deals you. Um, and then you can help your people, whether it be family, friends, coworkers, um, or your callers, like, you know that you can do this, so you can pass that on. And I think that, that that's something that it fulfills my purpose. And having a life with purpose is super important to me. And I think that this lines up really well with that. And without Dispatch, I, I might not have ever known what I can handle and known that I can't help in in that way.
1: Yeah, I, I fully agree with uh, knowing what you can and cannot handle. There's there's a lot of different things that uh, that I've dealt with. As well, uh, moving from dispatch though into uh, the private sector to becoming an industry partner with a nine one one solutions company, um, there were different things that happened there. And, and one that I can think of sp- uh, specifically in, in in talking about um, knowing what you can and cannot handle, um, I had uh, <laughs> I had a coworker who just went off like we were having a conversation and then just went off and I'm just sitting there and I remember the person saying I'm really sorry for going off on you right now and I said you know I spent 13 years listening to people and having some people die on me uh what you're doing right now is nothing compared to what I dealt with so you continue to do what you need to do I will be here to take whatever it is that you need to get off your, uh, off your chest. So go ahead. <laughs> so
0: yeah, it provides you like a whole different realm of leadership because all of a sudden, yeah. like, like I said, I'm in the military. Like when, when shenanigans happen, you're like, well, okay, okay. Like, right. Let's <laughs> move on from this. Like it's, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. And, and prior to dispatch, it could have definitely seemed way more the end of the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it just, yeah, it fully prepares you for so much more that is going on and, you know, anything that might happen in the the future as well. Uh, Kendra, what about you?
3: Um, It just made me appreciate the friendships that I've made in dispatch. Um, They understand it like nobody else would. So even with my spouse, if I have conversations, he just truly doesn't get it. Or my family members, they don't get it. But my friends within dispatch do get it. Um, Also, not to take life for granted, I'm um, so easy to do. So when we get so busy and stuck in our ways and um, yeah, and just like Madison said, as stress comes throughout the day from doing our daily, normal family activities, it's really not that big in the grand scheme of things. After you take some stressful calls in the day, it's like, Oh, if you spilled your milk, that's fine. Let's just wipe it up. It's going to be a good day. Good to- <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it does put uh, a lot of those calls they do put life into perspective right because you're you might feel like you know the world is ending and stuff and then you go into dispatch and you're taking a couple calls and then if you get a moment to reflect i know and i i'm just speaking from you know experience as well getting that moment to reflect and think damn it's really not that bad <laughs> like they are dealing with something completely different i need to uh step back take a deep breath and you know, quiet down whatever thoughts I had about whatever BS I was thinking that I was dealing with. This is, this is a lot worse. Um, but yeah, you, you do end up appreciating um, just, just life, you know, in, in general and in, in different experiences and moments that you end up dealing with as well, because, you know, there's a family out there who just lost someone and, and you are able to, you know, continue with, with your family or whatever it is that you're doing, but you appreciate it that much more. Yeah. Um, so I, want to move into this program and, and Katie, if you can explain and, uh, or, or any one of you, you know, I want to learn more about this program that, uh, um, that, that all of you took part in.
2: Okay. Um, (laughs) so, um, it was kind of the, my brainchild, um, Mm -hmm. my started, um, in Idaho, I had mentioned my grandparents. Um, we're getting older and needed help. Um, my grandpa was diagnosed with dementia um, and that brought with it a lot of challenges. Um, my grandma and I were his caretakers um, and we were dealing with a lot of the different things that come along with the dementia. Um, he was hallucinating. He was um, seeing and experiencing things that weren't real. He would um, hallucinate my grandma in awful situations. Um, I, I think it was his worst fears played out in his mind. Um, and it was really hard. Um, the doctors didn't know what to do with him. They sent him to therapy. Obviously that's not going to help when his brain is deteriorating. Um, but they didn't know what to do with him. Um, unfortunately, Alzheimer's and dementia is not, um, there's not a lot of resources. There's not a lot known about it. Um, we're getting better. Um, there's They're finally getting medications and stuff to help with that. But at the time, there wasn't much. Um, and he went downhill fast. Um, meanwhile, at work, I was taking calls where um, people with dementia would wander away from their homes and get lost or... Um, They would accuse their spouse of beating them or different things like that. Um, So I knew we weren't the only ones um, having these challenges. Um, And I figured there had to be a better way to um, help these people, both them as the patient and their families who are trying to deal with this on a daily basis. Um, I did a lot of research. I looked at the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And they had a a whole list of different agencies and what they had done and the different um, options that there were available programs online. Um, I took little bits and pieces that I liked from every one of them um, and the information that I had with our CAD um, and then very quickly realized what a huge project this was going to be. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's huge. Um, So Shelby and I, presented it to command staff. Um, the way Ada County works is that if you have an idea for a program, um, you write up a proposal, you present it to command staff, um, they take all the information and give it a yay or nay. Um, they were kind enough to give us a go ahead. Um, and that's when we brought Shelby and Kendra on to help us tackle this huge project of logistics. How are we gonna work this? How how who do we need to meet with and stuff like that.
1: So for those who are listening and watching, what is the name of the program? Um, and like, what, is it, what does it stand for?
2: Um, it's the RVAP program, it's ARVP, and it stands for Ada's Registry of Vulnerable Populations. Do you wanna to touch on the autism?
3: Yeah, so when they brought me into it, um, I have twin boys that have autism.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: They're 15 now, 15 and a half. And um, we were blessed where they they weren't runners. They didn't ever run away from us. They didn't ever escape from the house. Um, they were able to follow directions pretty well. So they knew like they don't leave the house without mom and dad, um, but not everybody is that lucky. And so like Katie was talking about how somebody with Alzheimer's or dementia may be found wandering in the middle of the night, not know where they belong. And then we have to go door to door, officers go door to door Trying to find out where they live it's the same thing with people with autism but they tend to run and usually it's younger kids that tend to run and they tend to run towards water um so this rvap program it's for the vulnerable populations so anybody with autism alzheimer's dementia even somebody with like down syndrome or any cognitive delay that may benefit from the program we encourage people to have them registered
1: interesting so then so you you've got the registry right and and you're filling out all this information is there um other health information there or is it more like descriptions and you know the address or a phone number to reach you know contacts in case you know someone is lost or does run away you can you can find them like do they have you know maybe a bracelet on them or or how does how does that part work
3: no so it's it's all of those things so it's going to be their name their address emergency contact their diagnosis their physical description, you can upload a photo we have in our system. Um, but things that we like in there are calming techniques, um, things to avoid, any specific triggers, um, how to talk to them appropriately, how to de-escalate them, um, what are the safe topics? Do they like cars? Do they like dinosaurs? Do they like talking about flowers? Um, and so we have a really cool search, um, well, in our CAD, we can do this really cool search command, So a couple months ago, we had a 12-year-old girl. We had 911 calls coming in. She was running in a busy part of Boise in the middle of the road. Um, People couldn't stop her. It wasn't safe for her to be doing what she was doing. It was like during rush hour traffic. Um, As officers were responding, our dispatcher was able to do this search command that we have, and she narrowed it down, and she found out exactly who this girl was, knew exactly how to talk to her, knew how to calm her down relayed that information to the officers, said, this is her name. This is how you talk to her. um, This is what you don't do because this will escalate her. And then she also called the mom and said, hey, we have your daughter at this location. She was just called in running down the street. And the whole time the dispatcher is talking to the officers and talking to the mom, the officer that got there is just following her slowly to keep her safe because she's She's eloping. She's running. They don't want to put hands on her. They don't want to stop her because um, that could trigger her. Um, so they knew exactly how to talk to her, to wait for mom to come to her, and um, how to de-escalate the situation appropriately.
1: Wow. That's that's amazing to be able to have all that information, especially on and how to talk to a specific person because that's that's something that uh, it's not always out there, right? There are training classes, but not everybody gets to go to a class like that. But, um, you know, to be able to to know how to talk to someone so that you can, you know, bring them back into safety and everything, that is that is powerful right there. How do you, um, and this is for, for anyone, um, but. Is this information that's also shared like let's say on on social media you know for for your agency do you have an agency page like on facebook or something and and is that information on there as well for the public
0: Mm -hmm. for the
1: registry part of it i guess is is what i
0: mean we've got the registry Mm -hmm. available on our um county webpage it's pretty easy to access and we have gone through a training with all of our partner agencies so all of the police officers have had this training Um, So we've walked them through so that they can help people that they encounter um, who would benefit from the program, register it. Obviously, all of that information is also protected so that the people are still safe, like their information is not available for the public. But it's a very, very easy form to fill out. And we have it so that all of these screens with all of these questions that we came up with, so all the topics that Kendra just listed, they're there so that people know what to put because some of this stuff is, is something that you maybe wouldn't think to put yourself. Um, so there's a spot to fill all of that out. Um, and then it goes into our CAD system and we can we can use the commands to, to bring it up either based on person's name or a location, but we've got that. We have um, talked to the media about it so that the community community can be made aware of it. Um, health and welfare attended a briefing. So so they're aware since those are people that they're likely to encounter. um, There have been some posts on our Sheriff's Office um, Facebook um, so that that is there as well. Um, But we've also tried to really hard talk to our officers about it. Um, And then within the dispatch environment, if if we're talking to somebody who's potentially a caregiver and they would benefit from, from this, we also make sure that we're passing this information along to them Um, so that we can have that preemptively, so that we can know how to help that person. But it's super easy, Um, it's just a few clicks um, in a
3: fairly logical order, so pretty much anybody can do it. And just touching base on that, it's completely voluntary. We would never Mm -hmm. force anybody to sign up.
1: Oh, for Um, sure, right, yeah.
3: Uh, And the information is completely protected. There's no more information in there uh, than what I may get from you as a call taker. So it comes into the same system. All protected. It's HIPAA compliant, mm-hmm. uh, and it's information that the family members want to provide.
1: And and how long has this uh, program been um, live?
4: We've been live for just over a year, about mm-hmm. a year and a half. Um, with COVID, it, I mean, it put a little bit of a slow roll on just getting the officers trained and stuff because everybody shut mm-hmm. down their outside training programs. Um, but once we were live and then once we were able to train all of the different agencies in our valley, um, then we were able to do the media release. But we've been accepting people through the RVET program for about a year.
1: What has the satisfaction been like with... You know, going through all of this—it's one thing. You know, when you're when you're taking all these calls and you know helping those, but to to put this program into place and have it go live, to be able to do not only the media spots but also training and everything else on it, and people getting into it and 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 using it and everything—what is that? What has that been like for you?
4: I think it's been exciting, at least for me. I mean, it's been in the works for quite a while, and just all mm-hmm. the different like. Not hoops necessarily, but different steps and getting the different departments involved, like our business systems and then the website up and going and all the different steps it's taken. And for our Katie's idea to finally be like an actual thing is really awesome.
2: And it took a long time to get there because Shelby and I, we presented, it's been almost three years ago now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, it took a lot. And then I moved away and these guys took it over and they, they took it and they did an amazing job with it, with the rollout and getting it, getting it going. And then it's been really cool because I, every once in a while I'll get texts from people um, of success stories that like the one Kendra just shared, like the dispatchers who were involved, they'll text me and say, Hey, your program's working. Um, And for me that it's, that's so rewarding that something that i had envisioned as just helping solve a problem that was relevant to my life um, is actually helping other people and it's going way beyond what i even had dreamed initially it's amazing and that's a mom mom with autistic
3: kids knowing mm-hmm. that we have this type of program if my kids do have a bad day and they just shut down and they won't communicate for whatever reason knowing that that's an option where the dispatcher could search and see the information provided in there and the officers would know how to respond to them appropriately um it's just it's an invaluable resource
1: what about you Madison
3: um I, I think it's just ha- having it help and
0: having it work I had a, another situation and it was a an elderly lady had wandered off early in the morning from her home she had wandered to a care facility and so as a nurse that found her. Um, And so they were taking care of her, Um, but it was colder. It was early in the morning and the lady was just very freaked out. Um, She didn't really know where she was um, and she did have dementia. And so I was able to run the location and then find her home and her husband's contact information and get that to officers like right as they're getting there. And so just being able to put that peace of mind for her family um, and then for her, and for our officers, it's it saves your resources, but being able to shorten that reunification process is, is what's super rewarding. Um, because if not, like if she doesn't know her husband's name, she doesn't know his phone number, like that could have been something that took a, a long time and then added so much more trauma to her if, if we would have had to either take her to the station and have her sit there and wait or go yeah. knock on doors. And she had wandered a bit of a ways, not like super far, but it was a, a very residential area, so there would have been so many houses if we were door-to-door knocking at 3 a.m. Um, and because of the program, we didn't have to do that. We didn't have to scare a bunch of people because um, it, it's intimidating if an officer shows up at your door at 3 a.m. Like, oh, my God, what happened? Um, yeah. And then she didn't have – because she's scared to begin with, um, and she's not understanding exactly what's going on. So minimizing that trauma for her um, and any other situations like that. that – is incredible and just super thankful that this one here Katie had had an idea and that we re, we were with an agency that was able to help us put that into action so we could offer that as a resource.
1: I think that's always awesome right when when you have a, a an agency that really um, backs you know ideas especially one like this and to be able to put it out there and just you know you said it it was three years ago that you first uh presented mm-hmm. and you just kept on and kept on and and, and, and did it and, and here we are you know talking about it there's these success stories and just to everything now um it has been amazing to have the four of you on here and to share your story and especially about this program as well as we, as we go into the wrap-up of this episode though if there are any other agencies out there who are looking to do something similar like what what advice do you have for them uh when when trying to implement something like this
3: start a dialogue i mean mm-hmm. start a dialogue is the need there what programs do you have that would work with your cad system mm-hmm. yeah
2: well and that's that's kind of where i started is do some research see what what availability there is in your cad what what will work with the systems that you already have because that was one of the things that we wanted um, that we had pushed really hard for is that we want this integrated into cad because we don't need more systems with more logins we have enough of that Um, we wanted to make sure it integrated with cad so we wanted to make sure we included it in our decision making um, made sure that the information was safe and protected uh, but easily accessible which is Kind of a two-edged sword. You have to be um, be careful with that. But look at what, what skills the people on your team have. Um, when I picked these uh, ladies to be part of this team, um, I picked them for reasons because I needed these skill sets that they all have. Um, and I think that's a huge part of any project, is knowing what skills everybody has, um, what they contribute, and balancing it out so that you know What can what's possible with your agency?
1: Uh, Shelby or Madison?
0: Um, I think that Tilby had it there, and then I think also like, I wasn't involved from the get-go. Tilby brought me on um, after her and Shelby had done the initial proposal, so I wasn't Mm -hmm. for that. But having the courage to do that, I think that sometimes as adults we're afraid to step out of what we know, again, going back to that lane and you've been operating in it. Uh, So, Like having the courage to put together a presentation and to put it out there um, with the idea that it could potentially be rejected um, and then either revising or going back. And then also like having the tenacity to continue going after it Um, and then being willing. I think you have to come up with like being willing to do this and having a training plan Um, and making sure that you get that organized so that you can do the rollout. But I think just as adults, we have a hard time sometimes taking that first step, but just going for it, taking the first step so you can get the ball ball rolling, whether that be research or a presentation or something like that.
1: Excellent. How about you, Shelby?
0: I think all of
4: that is very important to get it going. And then just also making a list of questions, kind of brainstorming what your command is going to be, interested in, like the financial part is always going to be big in any sort of agency. What's the financial part? In our experience, in our situation, we really don't have a huge financial load with our program um, just because we're utilizing people that we already have. And the program itself is free. There's no sort of cost with that. Um, But I think just making sure that you cover all of those aspects, the time it's going to take to get it rolling and if you need additional personnel, the financial stuff. And, Cause that's what the command is going to be wanting to look for and have answers to.
1: Excellent. Well, it has been awesome again, as I said to, to have all of you on and to share your story and to talk about this program, a very important one. And uh, yeah, I, we might have to do a dispatchers roundtable on this, uh, uh, on this, uh, you know, whole concept and everything as well. This has been really, really good. And, uh, I just, I appreciate the work that you do and, uh, for being on the podcast. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us.
1: So I will be right back here with, uh, with all of you in just one moment. And for those who are watching and listening right now, if you have any comments, questions, or you want to be a guest on the show, you can email us. And that's going to be WTT at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. That is going to be at 91 Podcast. You can like us on Facebook. That is Facebook.com slash within the trenches podcast. This episode has been sponsored by Digital Rapid Employee, as well as Carbine. And if you're looking for any bonus content, you can check us out and support us. And that's going to be Patreon.com slash WTT Podcast. And uh, this episode can be seen on Facebook, YouTube, as well as uh, LinkedIn. And you can listen 24-7 on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, your favorite podcasting app, and WithinTheTrenches.net. Have a good one, everyone, and we'll see you in the next one.
3: You just listened to a Code 7 network podcast. If you have any questions or would like to be a guest on the show,
4: send an email to WTTpodcast at gmail.com.